So Jesus asked that you would speak through scripture and help us be more like you. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Welcome here on Memorial Day weekend when we remember the brave men and women who have died in service to our country. Thank you for being here on a holiday weekend. Uh, I recently saw a video clip. Some of you have probably seen this. It's a press conference where a reporter asks uh, basketball star LeBron James to criticize his teammate Kyrie Irving after a loss while Kyrie is sitting right there. And here is LeBron's response. LeBron, Mark Schwartz, ESPN. Early in November, it was a game in Utah, tight game. Kyrie had 34 points, but he had no assists. And you let him know that that's just not acceptable. Tonight again, he had no assists. Does he get a pass, though, for tonight because of the circumstances? Or uh, don't, don't none of us get a pass tonight. It's not just Kyrie. Uh, you know, Kyrie could have had 40 assists, but if D-Rose still make that shot, we still lose. So it's, it's not about Kyrie, it's not about LeBron, it's not about Tristan, and, and all the way down the line. None of, none of us get a pass tonight. You know, we have to be better. I have to be better. Um, I have seven turnovers tonight. You know, if I, maybe if I have four, then we don't put ourselves in that position. I also shot eight for 25 from the field. You know, maybe if I'm 11 for 25, we put ourselves in a better position. I also shot one for seven from the three-point line. And I only had one steal. It ain't about Kyrie. You put it on me. It's not about Kyrie. Kyrie gonna be great, and uh, you know, for the rest of us, we just have to pick each other up. It's never a one-man show. Classy, right? I mean, is it just me, or is there something really refreshing about that moment? Whatever you think about either of these guys, however well they do or don't get along in real life, this moment to me is refreshing. You know, LeBron's like, I'm not gonna throw my teammate under the bus snotty reporter with your snotty question. Put it on me. Put it on me. He shows loyalty. And maybe one of the reasons that this clip has gone viral is I think we're kind of starved to see genuine loyalty in our culture because it seems to be getting more rare these days. It's kind of like the wealthy husband who asked his wife, would you still love me if I lost all my money? And she puts her arms around him and says, of course I would still love you. I'd miss you terribly, but I'd still love you. I like lack of loyalty. We kind of see it all around us. We're in a sermon series called Eulogy Virtues versus Resume Virtues. It comes from a writer named David Brooks. And resume virtues are things like achievements and successes or whether you're good looking or not or, 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 or wealthy or those kinds of things. Eulogy virtues are what people say about you at your funeral. Like, were you kind? Were you brave? Did you have integrity? Now, those two things are not necessarily opposed. They can often go together. But we all know that between the two, the, the eulogy virtues are actually more important. But our whole culture and education system and all of that concentrates more on resume things than character things. And loyalty is really one of those eulogy virtues that is just getting more and more rare these days. Companies aren't loyal to their workers and vice versa. Spouses aren't loyal to each other. Our consumer culture affects even our friendships, where if we're not getting what we wanted out of the friendship or cooler friends come along, we just kind of switch. We have hundreds of Instagram followers, but we're not really loyal to any of them. And that lack of loyalty can absolutely wreck us. For instance, when someone's not loyal to you, how does it feel? Right? Like, it hurts, right? And this is beautifully captured by a great contemporary poet, Justin Bieber, 
in his current song where he says, when you told me that you hated my friends, the only problem was with you and not them. And I didn't want to write a song because I didn't want anyone thinking I still care, I don't. But maybe you should know that my mama don't like you and she likes everyone. That's my favorite line. <laughs> and if you like the way you look that much, maybe you should go and love yourself. Whoa. Kind of makes you want to know who it's about, right? Like whoever she is, she done him some serious wrong, right? No loyalty and it hurt. Where parents aren't loyal to each other, kids don't have the environment they need to risk, to grow, to develop. Where there's no loyalty between coworkers, when you're always wondering who's going to stab you in the back, then teams, there's no trust. And when there's no trust, teams don't work together very well. There's no lack of, they're not as creative, and the whole company suffers because of it. See, in our culture, we think that the way to freedom is to have no commitments. It's actually the opposite. Because where there's no commitment, there's no security. And where there's no security, there is fear. And fear causes us to shrink and live small lives rather than live big. Lack of loyalty kills us. On the flip side, there are huge payoffs for loyalty. Harvard University did a study where they followed 260 people for 75 years thousands of pages of data, and they found that after basic needs are met, happiness is in no way correlated to money or to reputation. It's correlated to long-lasting relationships. In other words, loyal relationships. People with long-lasting relationships were happier, healthier, and they lived longer. Because we were made for this. We're made for this. We're, we're designed in God's image, and he is loyal. So how do we find loyalty? How do we be loyal? And what's the payoff for being loyal? The Bible says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is a statement of ultimate loyalty. Jesus is loyal, which means he can empower us, his followers, to give and receive loyalty. And the story we just read about David and Jonathan gives some clues about how that works. Now, the background is this. Jonathan was the king's son. The king was Saul. Jonathan was his son and heir to the throne. But God had chosen David as the next king, not Jonathan, and Jonathan knew it, and Jonathan supported it. But that made his dad, King Saul, absolutely jealous, so he tried to kill David actually several times. So in one of the hardest battles of David's life, what does God do? Well, he doesn't deliver him from the battle. Instead, he sends David a loyal friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan helps him escape, helps David escape. So here's another payoff of loyalty. Right? Jonathan's loyalty not only protected David from being killed, but it released him into his destiny as king. Loyalty releases us to be who God created us to be. Where coworkers, friends, spouses, church members are loyal to each other, that gives us the conditions we need to thrive. Now, if you want people to be loyal to you, if you want people to be loyal to you, what might you need to do to get that? Like, any guesses? Like, maybe be loyal yourself, right? Because when we're loyal, not everyone, but some will return the favor. And there are five C's, five things today. They all start with C about loyalty that comes from this story. And the first C is this, covenant, not consumer. The text says Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. That word covenant is loaded. It's the highest form of a commitment you could make. It's the word God uses about his promises to us. 
And even the way the people made covenants back then emphasized radical commitment. What they would do is they would kill an animal, cut it in two, and then walk between the two pieces of the animal, basically saying, if you break your promises to me, I'm going to cut you in two. So a little more intense than cross your heart and hope to die, right? And this is the kind of commitment that David and Jonathan made to each other. And this is very different than how we do friendship today. Right? Friendship today is kind of convenience, not radical commitment. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that if you hit it off with a coworker, you should chop his goldfish in two and say, let's have a covenant friendship, because that'd be awkward, right? And, and we, can't have, we can't have this kind of loyalty with everyone because there are limits, not everyone, but we can ask the Holy Spirit to show us who we need to commit to. Spouses for sure, but beyond that, who? Commit to have fun together. Commit also to get to know each other beyond the masks. Go a little deeper. Commit to make time for each other in your calendar. You know, one of the most frequent complaints I hear is, I don't have any friends in this church. Isn't it kind of odd? We're all kind of looking for the same thing, but no one's willing to take the first step. So if you find someone you hit it off with, kind of carve out some time to spend time with that person. And yes, there's going to be trial and error in this process. Not everyone is going to be your friend. But you know what? There are 4,000 people in this church. Surely one of them will like you. <laughs> right? Like your odds are good, right? Like there's got to be one in there. See, the problem is our consumer culture invades even our relationships, our friendships. We're constantly calculating cost-benefit ratio. What does this friend do for me? What does that friend do for me? We're consumers, even of friendship, even in parenting. Am I getting what I wanted out of parenting? No. No, the answer will always be no. Let me just take care of that for you. Right? Stupid question. No. Right? So our kids become even kind of this extension of our, of our life plan. Even to our kids, we're kind of consumers. Now, there is a place for casual friendship, for sure, for networking relationships, all of that. But we also need a few covenant relationships beyond marriage where we say, I am with you no matter what. I'm going nowhere. Even when I'm not getting what I want out of this, I, I'm here. Covenant. Second C, completion more than competition. Text says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. Okay, that robe would have been the royal robe he wore as heir to the throne. So basically what Jonathan is saying is, David, even though I'm heir, I can see what God is doing in your life. God is raising you up to be king, not me, and I'm going to do everything I can to release you into your destiny, to help you be everything God created you to be. Jonathan is heir. David is the upstart. They should have been at each other's throats but their loyalty trumped their competition. Now, don't get me wrong. There is such a thing as healthy, good competition. There is such a thing as healthy competition, like in sports where we encourage each other to be our best and challenge each other. All of that, that's healthy competition. But there's also toxic competition where we view the other person as the enemy or the person who's going to get the promotion instead of me or they've got the bigger house and now I'm jealous. Loyalty rejects all of that and says to the other person, how can I help you be everything God created you to be? Completion more than competition. Third C, constancy. You stay. You stick it out. You don't go anywhere just because it gets hard. As we say in eastern Washington, sometimes you just got to dance with the one that brung you. And that's really wise words, right? As is all eastern Washington wisdom, right? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to dance with the one that brung you. When it became clear that King Saul was intent on killing David, 
and David had to go into hiding and be separated from his friend Jonathan, this is what happens. It says, David bowed down before Jonathan three times. Then they kissed each other and they wept together, but David wept the most. Now, in our culture, you don't really see friends doing this kind of behavior, right? That's not what we do in our culture. Although last week, I was preaching in Paris, at a church in Paris. And you know that whole two-kiss thing they do? Like, it was, I was always going left when I should have gone right and right when it was just very awkward, right? So maybe over there, that's how friends act, but not here, okay? But you got to have, you got to understand two things. First, most other cultures place a higher value on friendship than our culture. We're kind of the only culture that doesn't value friendship. Second, in a warrior culture, this is not uncommon behavior. Because sociologists say that in most cultures, men are supposed to act tough. So it's only when they're actual warriors, when they're actually fighting battles and hunting, so that it's clear that they really are tough, only then are men free to express their actual emotions. So this is actually not uncommon in a warrior culture. Then in the next verse, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. In other words, David, even when things are hard, I am with you, constant, I stay. He doesn't say, I don't know, David. You know, my dad says I could be king someday, and so I don't know. I'd kind of like to keep my options open, right? And David doesn't say, you know, Jonathan, this covenant thing, I don't know, that's for life, that's a long time. Like, when I'm king, there may be like cooler friends I could hang out with than you, so I think I'm just going to hit maybe on the Facebook invite. <laughs> Loyalty means sticking with folks, even when things change, and especially when things get hard. Pepper Rogers was a college football coach, and there was one season where UCLA was just, just had a terrible record, was just doing terribly, and he said, no one in Southern California would hang out with me. My dog was my only friend. And he said, I even told my wife that every man needs at least two good friends, so she bought me another dog. <laughs> no loyalty. Later in this story, as the story goes on, Jonathan actually is killed in a battle before David is king. But once David becomes king, after Jonathan had died, David, the text says, David asked this. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Even after Jonathan has died, David is still loyal. So they sent out a search team, and, and turns out Jonathan had a surviving son named Mephibosheth, which in Hebrew means good luck pronouncing this name. <laughs> really, that's what it means in Hebrew, honest. So David then, what happened, what David does is he not only brings Mephibosheth into the palace, but he gives him an honored place in his kingdom, remaining loyal to Jonathan even after he has died. Now think about this, okay? Jonathan was heir to the throne, which means his son would be a rival claimant to the throne. What do most kings do with rival claimants to the throne? They kill him, right? Like Henry VIII spent his entire reign killing off rival claimants to the throne of England including people with the last name of Dudley, and that was not nice. <laughs> like, I could be in Buckingham Palace right now, like, doing the king wave thing. Like, I think I could have made a career out of that. Instead, David does for Mephibosheth what Jesus does for us. See, Jesus died to pay the price for our sins, not just so that we could be spared, but that we could have an honored place in his kingdom. In this story, John, Jonathan was under enormous pressure to side with his dad and kill David, and it would have been to his advantage he to become king, but he remained constant. David would have been under constant pressure to kill off Jonathan's son as a rival claimant to the throne, but he refused. There may be all kinds of pressure on you at work to throw the colleague under the bus or take credit for something you didn't do. 
or join in the gossip at church at the expense of someone else. There may be pressure to leave one set of friends for a cooler set of friends, and don't tell me we don't do that. That's only for middle schoolers. We do it all the time. See, loyalty gets really radical. It may mean, for instance, we don't just automatically move to the new city to take the promotion, even though that's what our culture says to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Often, God calls us to a new place. God often calls us to a new place. I left California to come here. But loyalty means we count the cost in friendship before we do that. And we don't just do it for the paycheck. I've been here 13 years. That's a lot of shared life with a lot of people. And the thing about 13 years is, it takes 13 years to replace 13 years in another place. Loyalty means we're careful about moving so that we can have long-lasting community. Yes, sometimes we have to, but we're careful. Similarly, there can be really good reasons to change churches. There can be good reasons for that, but loyalty means we're careful about it because if we leave one church too easily, we miss one of the great benefits of church, which is that there is always someone here to irritate you, usually the pastor. It's just a gift we bring. But if we work through it, often we get to a deeper place of community. This This summer will be the 12th time that we have done the Jubilee Service Project here on the east side. In a culture where even charities move on to the next cool thing, you know what we're saying to the east side, Bell Press? We are saying to the east side, we're here. We stay. We're not giving up on you. We are serving you, and we're not going to quit doing that. We're here. We're going to dance with the one that brung us. That is a powerful message in a culture where there's no loyalty. Now, I want to be clear. There is such a thing as a toxic person. David and Jonathan had a toxic person in their life. King Saul was trying to kill him. That's toxic, right? And sometimes we need to put distance between us and that person for everyone's sake. But even then, you can remain loyal by how you talk about them. You can pray for them. You can seek their best. Both Jonathan and David continued to serve in Saul's army, crazy King Saul. They continued to serve in his army fighting Israel's enemies, loyal to the end. It's just that Jonathan wouldn't go along with his dad on his dysfunction toward David. And we can be loyal by maybe not being too quick to label someone toxic when really they're just getting on our nerves. Covenant, not consumer. Completion more than competition. Constancy, the fourth C of loyalty is common cause. You see this in sports where loyalty is a byproduct of working together for a common goal, right? Doing that builds loyalty. Jonathan says to David, don't be afraid. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. See, Jonathan sees a much bigger picture here. God was raising David up to be Israel's greatest king, an ancestor of Jesus. God is working out his salvation history to redeem the whole world. So much bigger than who gets to be king. Who cares? And God's entire salvation plan hinges on the loyalty of two friends. When we are about something bigger than ourselves, working together in God's rescue mission, Right? Relationships go deeper, and we get a bigger adventure. And yes, as I said earlier, in friendships, we got to get beyond news, weather, and sports, got to get down to what's really going on, where are we aching, where are we faking. Yes, we have to do that. But as I've said before, if that's all we do, you know, if all we do is share our feelings, then it traps us in an endless rerun of the Oprah show. No one wants to be there. Sloppy agape, right? You need both. Loyalty happens when we're pulling together for something bigger than ourselves. That's why people who only want to get friends never have them. For one thing, that's a consumer mentality, not a covenant mentality. And for another, there's nothing the friendship is about, right? If you're going nowhere, you can't have a fellow traveler. 
And again, there's huge payoff in all this loyalty stuff. When teammates in sports are loyal, you have a better team. You go further in the playoffs. When we are about something bigger in our friendships, marriages, church relationships, we go deeper and we get bigger adventures. Jonathan is basically saying to David, David, you are going to be king. I'm going to be your wingman. The adventures we will have, we will hear the chimes at midnight together, David. Covenant, completion, constancy, common cause. Now, all this ain't easy, is it? It is not easy. It's hard to do. Not everyone will be loyal even when we're loyal. They won't be loyal in return. We will, not if, we will be hurt. We will get hurt. And it doesn't always turn out the way we want it. You know, David and Jonathan never got to be first and second in command together because Jonathan died in a battle. And yet they got this amazing friendship that, that, that made both of their lives more meaningful. Jonathan got a loyal friend in David who took care of his family even after Jonathan died. And in a warrior culture, Jonathan got to be a warrior alongside his best friend in that culture. That was high honor, man. And when Jonathan died, David wrote one of the most beautiful eulogies for him in history, where he says, Jonathan, you showed me a different kind of love than the world's love, a love that would lay aside your interests to help me. Thank you, and I love you, my brother. Jonathan got a great friend, a huge adventure, and a 3,000-year-old legacy. Loyalty is not always easy, but it has some great rewards. Now, obviously, the power for all of this Where do we get this power to do this? Because it's hard. It's got to come from Jesus, and that's the last C. I saved the best for last. Christ. We need his Holy Spirit to inspire, convict, and empower us. And loyalty is what Jesus has shown to us. When we were disloyal to him, while we were yet sinners, he died to pay the price for our sins. That's loyalty. You see, Jesus says to the Father what LeBron James said in that press conference. Their screw-ups, Father, put it on me. Put it on me. In the words of that great hymn that we just sang, Thou on my head in early youth did smile, and though rebellious and perverse meanwhile, thou hast not left me, though I oft leave thee. On to the close, Lord, abide with me. He has not left me, though I leave him every single day, prone to wander, man. And we can learn to be loyal from the God who has been loyal to us. So some practical steps, okay? Practical steps. Let's do, let's do this like college, kind of college courses, okay? Loyalty 101, freshman loyalty, all right? Connect with Jesus in prayer, worship, scripture, experience his loyalty to you. Then loyalty 201, who has been loyal to you? Mentor, parent, friend, boss, spouse, thank them. Loyalty 301, do one thing this week to show loyalty, Maybe defend a person who's getting gossiped about. Maybe volunteer or give money to an organization that you believe in to show your commitment. And then if you want to go to graduate school in loyalty, think of someone you have not been loyal to and ask their forgiveness. Some of you are like, I'm sticking with the undergrad stuff. (laughs) Speaking of which, my sophomore year in college, I had a roommate named Tony and we became very good friends. And up to that point, I had been so painfully shy, I had actually never had a friend before. So this was all brand new, having a friend. But then the next year, my junior year, suddenly I had tons of friends, and they were really cool people. Right? And I wanted to hang out with my new cool friends. So I kind of just stopped hanging out with Tony. And even when we did get together, I didn't want to be there, and I was kind of grouchy about it. And this, this went on for years, right? And I kept thinking, oh, won't he just go away? 
right? But even after I was married, Tony would occasionally call and just see how I was doing. Well, after my first wife left me and I was in the middle of a divorce, somehow Tony found out about it, and he called just to offer comfort. By this time, I was in the Bay Area. Tony was down in Los Angeles, and he said, you know what, why don't you just come down for the weekend? We'll go see a baseball game. We'll hang out on the beach. It'll be fun. I did not want to go. I had failed in my first marriage. I was embarrassed. I'd been a jerk to Tony for years. I didn't want to face that, but I went anyway. And one day, we were on the beach, and I was kind of talking and pouring my heart out and all of that about, you know, the divorce and everything, and he listened. And when I was done, he said, you know, why did you just ditch me all those years ago? Ooh. But he wasn't angry. It was more compassionate. Like, he was naming the elephant in the room that I wanted to talk about, but I didn't know how. And I said, you know, you're right. That was, that was bad. That was bad on my part. He said, you know what? It hurt for a while, Scott, but I don't want to give up on this friendship because I actually like hanging out with you. And I talked a little bit more. I asked his forgiveness, and he gave it. And for me, it was a powerful moment of reconciliation at a time when I was feeling very abandoned. So I started going to L.A. Occasionally, he'd come up to the Bay Area. We would help each other through the various kind of crises we faced, whatever they were. He was writing a novel. I connected him with some people in the Stanford English Department to help him out. And he and I got a good friendship out of that. Kind of helped us in that season of our life. When I had been disloyal to him, he was loyal to me. At a time in my life when I really needed it, and that was one step that helped me heal from the divorce. See, that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus does for us what Tony did for me. Though we oft leave him, he does not leave us. Jesus made a covenant with us, but he didn't sign it with the blood of an animal. He signed it in his own blood and said, put it on me, Father, put it on me. And the last thing he said before he left was, look, I am with you even to the close of the age. When you get the promotion, I'm there. When you get laid off, I'm there. When you are full of vigor, I am there. When you are sick and ailing, I am there. When you are born, I am there. When you die, I am there. And when you are following me, I am there. And even when you run away from me, I am still there. He does not leave us, though we oft leave Loyalty sets us free. So Jesus, thank you, thank you that you never give up on us, even though we do plenty of stuff that would make lots of people give up. You don't, Jesus. Thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you help us to really get that, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Live in your loyalty and live out of your loyalty so that we can give it away to others. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.